Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are coming to you from the field. And where are you when you have those conversations that can change your life or change your view or make those discoveries that give you that slight edge that moves your business forward in a way that up until now, you haven't seen possible? You may be at a coffee shop, a cigar shop. You may be at that networking function before the seminar. You could be at an outdoor cafe. You could be in the park. You could be driving, although we do not film these episodes while we're driving. Most of them are from my high-tech studio involving a $30 Logitech headset in my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony studio. So you may hear a little breeze in the background. We're having a bit of a nice, windy day here. You may occasionally hear a vehicle cruising along the road in the background. You may hear a bird chirp. And these are the things you hear, the ambient noise, when the brilliance finds you. Today, we are going to discuss breaking the barriers between Wall Street and Main Street. This is pretty much what it sounds like. However, the perspective you're going to gain on this may be something that is a different point of view. To share with us today, we have Craig Cecilio. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is the CEO and founder of Diversifund a loving husband, and a dedicated father to three beautiful daughters. And as you're going to hear in a moment, he's got awesome new podcast equipment. He's a family man at heart whose mission is to break down the barriers that keep most Americans from investing like the privileged, well-connected, and wealthiest 1% in our country. It's been a solid minute since we've done an investment-type show, so we'll cover some invest stuff. But we're going to have some other things going on also. So he founded Diversifund in 2016. And using its wealth tech platform, Craig combines the power of crowdfunding with cutting-edge technology. He's a graduate of the University of Colorado Boulder, earning a bachelor's degree in 1996, so he's basically in my cohort. He received his California real estate license two years later in 1998, and before the diversity fund, he sat on the board of ARTs, A Reason to Survive, which promotes art as a means of therapy for children. We're going to have... A blast here. Craig Cecilio, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. Appreciate it. All right. I just read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So what we like to do here before we dive in is have you tell us in your own words about your experiences and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Gosh, you're kind of making me sound old going over my whole history here <laughs> than anything else, but I appreciate that with everything. Yeah, I mean, I've been at this a long time, and 
I guess the starting goes back to kind of my childhood, working class family, and then kind of my working my way up. And when I found myself having an opportunity to give back, and what I mean about giving back is to create a company where I could help the everyday uh, consumer, American retail investor out, I was kind of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm meant to do. And, uh, and then I kind of just kind of went after it and, and just started uh, to put everything together. And lo and behold, the idea of diversity fund came. And here we are five years later, 30,000 customers, uh, close to a quarter billion dollars of assets in our management, about 600,000 account signups in our community. So it's kind of taken off. So I feel very blessed for what's happening, especially during the pandemic. Most of this stuff happened during the pandemic as well as our explosive yeah. growth. So very, very blessed for what happened during that time period as well. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, when the pandemic was first declared as such, you turn on the TV, and I say it that way on purpose, and you hear all these stories of gloom and doom and heads stuck in the sand. You go on social media, and you see people getting into knockdown, dragout fights over the narratives created by politicians and media. And I'm thinking, what? Because when I looked around, I saw enthusiasm and excitement. That's because in our world, people understand the power of pivoting. As I like to say, it's easy to look at someone who's complaining about, you know, what's the latest word salad that came out of the president's mouth or what have you, and what the hell's going on now, and tell them, you know, you can't do anything about that. So you got to focus on what you can do something about. Yes. Focus on something you can do something about. You can create your own economy. You can create your own success. You can create whatever it is you want. It may not be in the original packaging you envisioned, but it may actually turn out to be an even greater gift for yourself and for the community, market, and audience you serve. That's what excites me. And with crowdfunding, it's become a very big deal, particularly over the past 10 years. I became an executive producer of an album through crowdfunding. I paid a bunch of money and actually got listed twice. Funny how that works. I've seen crowdfunding create companies. I've seen it fund causes. I've seen it do all kinds of things. I am involved as much as I can be in animal rescue. And there are organizations like Cuddly out there who raise thousands and thousands of dollars every day for injured animals in need, abandoned animals who are taken into veterinary practices and need thousands of dollars for life-sustaining care that's urgent. And they can put up a post and five hours later, they have the $6,000 that they need to uh, make that little kitten feel good again. So I see the power of this every single day. Now, aside from all of that, what inspired you to create Diversifund? Uh, it goes back goes back to the, my childhood and not have an opportunity growing up, my family, at least my parents. Yeah. And so to be able to do something like that is is just kind of it's a blessing to be able to create a company that you can give back and do something that kind of hits home was was something dear to my heart. Uh, we got lucky during the pandemic. Um, and I, I like what you said. Uh, going into the pandemic, we had a plan to 5x our marketing budget. This was pre-pandemic. This was made the decision in December 2019. And when March rolled around, that was our kind of uh, go-to-market date. And everyone's kind of looking at me. And I'm like, what are you looking at? We made a decision. We're going to go for it. 
And I was kind of really excited to go for it during that time period because I've con- gone through a couple market cycles myself and I always found a lot of opportunity is created during some down cycles. And we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen going into that. Everything, like kind of the world almost stopped. No one was going to work anymore. When we go in back to the office, what's really going on with this pandemic, a lot of uncertainty. And I always found those were the best times to kind of, uh, there are a lot of opportunities are created in those uncertain times. And my uh, my motto was like, hey, well, let's go for it. Let's 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 go all in during this uh, time period. And we uh, and today here we are with the benefits from doing that. Well, you know, um, you know what's funny is that and there's this there's this trope that goes around, uh, and it's not exactly exactly accurate. There's actually a bit more to the story, and some of it actually did not happen in our country. You have to read the whole story. But you see those bottles of A1 steak sauce in the store. And what does it say on the bottle right above the A1? Established 1862. So the meme about that is, hey, we were in the middle of a freaking civil war, and somebody decided we need steak sauce. So even with that going on, there was opportunity. What a time period to start a company, 1862. <laughs> I, I, I never it was. Now, every time I look at the A1 bottle, I'm gonna, there's a story behind it. Yeah, actually, I mean, actually, it's uh, you have to look at the history of it. It's actually a bit more to it than that. But the fact that it says established 1862 tells you something about, yeah. about how you can pretty much do anything in any given time. Now, what I part of the things that I love about crowdsourcing and crowdfunding is that it does kind of level the playing field. I mentioned a few moments ago that crowdfunding uh, made me an executive producer of an album. It was actually my friend's album, and he, uh, I believe, it was his eleventh or twelfth studio album. It turned out to be his last. And rather than pers- pursue or attempt to pursue a major le- a major label record deal, although he actually was a top 40 performing artist he did it through crowdfunding so i my contribution was is i bought a crap ton of pre-ordered copies of the autograph cd and got an executive producer credit for that and i know somebody else got an executive producer credit because they hired him for command performance at their kids graduation party or something like that so it's the idea of finding a new way to, in my experience at least, trade goods and services for monetary value to create something that didn't exist before. All of this was ultimately geared toward defraying the costs of recording, editing, producing the album. Great. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great tool that businesses have been using since the Jobs Act got passed in uh, 2012. And how we're using it, uh, we all use it to raise money for companies. We raise it to uh, go into investments. It's 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 been a, gr- a great tool that they passed. And, and today today is a different world than it was back then with the advent of uh, NFTs and, and cryptocurrency. I'd love to see where that's going to go and where that's going to take off, and uh, how that's going to affect uh, things going forward as well with uh, fundraising efforts across the board. It, it is a little bit difficult to do to get these things off the ground. Uh, it, I'm quite, it's, it's, it's great that you got yours funded. Uh, I know it's also been a little bit of a, a struggle for some companies to get funding on some of these platforms, 
but uh, it is definitely a great tool to use and it does open the playing fields and knock down barriers uh, for, for people to get involved with um, things that otherwise they would be prohibited from or not aware of. I, I think there's kind of something there to be said about the awareness factor is the retail investor, the everyday American, everyday consumer doesn't know a lot of these things exist. So we're finding out there's a lot of education involved, a lot of awareness involved of, okay, th this is something that I can do. This is something I'm able to do now. Now it's like, what what is this? What am I doing exactly? So we, we've been uh, really focused lately on a lot of education, a lot of awareness for people. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier the organization Cuddly that creates, I, I think it's called Cuddly. I see the ads are under Cuddly all the time on social media that raises funds for animals in need of emergency care, animals that uh, don't own humans and don't have anybody else to pay the bill. And people just show up with $10, $20 at a time and they can put up a post and six hours later, they have a $6,000 vet bill covered. It, it's amazing how that is. One of my favorite stories about this and this goes back to, I believe, 2019. This happened in Philadelphia. There was an employee of Verizon. He was one of the people who works on the uh, on the uh, telephone lines, and a cat got stuck on top of a utility pole. So he happened to be in the area, and people were trying to rescue this cat who was just perched on top of a utility pole. And he drove the truck over, used a little bucket thing, got up there, and uh, grabbed the cat. And the cat came out unscratched. So Verizon in their just absolute obtuse stupidity thought that the way to handle that was to suspend him for three weeks without pay. Well, that's got a lot of outrage going. And the person who got suspended ultimately is a result of two different GoFundMe pages. I can't remember what the total the total came out to, but I believe that he ended up with something like $5,000. I know one of the GoFundMes, there were actually two of them, raised a total of $3,395. So just the idea that it gives people the ability to tangibly express a thought and express an opinion. The opinion was, this guy's a hero regardless of what his out-of-touch bosses think, the guy's a hero. He put himself on the line to rescue somebody's cat. And that cat is somebody's child. That's, I don't know, that's unbelievable. A lot of people get, get in trouble for things that are they're doing for um, are good acts and, and they're getting uh they're getting persecuted for it and getting laid off for it or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's I, ridiculous I, in some forms or manner. I mean, I, I mean, I could have seen, I could have seen them saying, all right, we get it, but don't do it again. I could see that, but three weeks suspended without pay. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that's part of what I love about crowdfunding is it gives the community the opportunity to right these wrongs. Yeah, it, I mean, it is a it's a great tool. Like I said, it's a great tool. You could do a lot of things with it. Definitely, uh, charities is focused. I have background in charities. Uh, I think that was pre crowdfunding, <laughs> so it was yeah. a little bit. Uh, we had to do it the old school way: is is have events, uh, meet people face to face. We were quite successful with one donor who ended up uh, selling a horse, like flipping a horse, and wow. we got quite we got quite a bit of money 
from that. I always ask, because why do we get less than 10% of your proceeds? I think they flipped a horse for like 15 million. They gave us about 800,000, but uh, that was quite a bit of a big donation for us with our, our, our arts organization. Uh, that really hit home with me is really helping these kids face adversity out. And we actually had one of our students win an Academy Award, uh, a couple of short film documentaries. Uh, wow. Artist is uh, did a piece on her, and I think it was 2007, 2008. And uh, yeah, we took she took home, they took home an Academy Award talking about her story. It's a big tearjerker of a story, true story, and yeah. how she used our organization to overcome depression and uh, got so bad that her mother was about to jump off the Coronado Bridge here in San Diego with her and her younger brother. And she had to talk to her mother out of that because they came over from Mexico and didn't have a place to live. And during that time period, right. she, she was working with our uh, our founder of our arts organization. He kind of took her in and she was expressing herself through her art. And lo and behold, uh, when the story got out and she won the award, everything, her art just kind of took off and she's able to afford an apartment for her family and get income for her family. And now she's a kind of a nationally renowned artist. So great, great story. Um, and that's the power of the arts. You mentioned to me in the green room that your organization managed to build a community of 30,000 customers during a pandemic. I've got to know more about that. Again, going back to, I looked around, I saw people getting energized and excited. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that happened. One, I think organically, the company was at that stage really to grow. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people were starting to go online more than normal. So you had more people being feeling comfortable with financial services online. And you had a little bit uh, people, I would say, that were a little bit more who invested uh, probably offline, now doing it online, a little bit older, I'd, st- I'd say, in the funnel, being more comfortable transacting online uh, as well. So I think that gave us a, a great push. The other side is, uh, as we were spending our money on on marketing, uh, a lot of marketing companies, marketing uh, paid media placements, uh, a lot of partners in, uh, were really uh, had less customers come in at that time period. A lot of people were pulling back on their marketing spend. So allowed us to build uh, better relationships, get better placements, which got us more exposure, better media placements. And uh, so we got the word out. So a lot, a lot of those things kind of came together with it. And um, and, and it was an uncertain time period because we we're aggregating those funds and then deploying those funds into assets. And uh, we did a good job. And here we are today. We had the market just take off this last year and everything performed outstanding, better than anticipated. Uh, so a lot of things were, I don't want to say it was luck at the end of the day because there's a lot of hard work, but a lot of it was timing. Uh, we, we timed it right. We really went out there, went after it during the downside. And when things are kind of uncertain, that is usually, I call that like a distress time period. You can use whatever word you want to use. And so when you're purchasing assets in distress time period, usually you're, you're purchasing it uh, at a discount. And we were able yeah. to do that. And of course, this last year, everything took off. So we were able to purchase at a discount. And then everything kind of took off in the, in the stratosphere. So, so the market's so frothy uh, this past year. It was crazy. So we've Oh, been my God. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting, having looked into Diversifund, is it gives folks the opportunity to invest in multifamily real estate. And a person can start this with just a very small amount of money, 
when yeah. we hear now when we hear about real estate investment, we're thinking, where do we come up with that money for that first house or that first apartment building so that we can have a, a an asset that we can then mortgage and leverage to get the second one and so on and so forth. And you've created a way where five hundred dollars, pretty much anybody can get into it. The way we're going with inflation here, pretty soon five hundred dollars is going to be the cost of breakfast. No, it's crazy. Yeah. So our minimums are as low as $500. And really, there's no reason why nobody should get involved because it's only 500 bucks. Like you said, it could be a, a tank of gas, it could be 500 bucks, depending on how big your yeah. Yeah, gas tank is right now. And uh, it, we're, we kind of uh, focus on institutional quality investments, larger mm-hmm. investment sizes, 15 to $25 million purchase price of these investments, where most people don't have an opportunity to participate in. And uh, by doing this, they're more, more risk adverse assets, the more stabilized assets, they're again, institutional quality assets. Uh, so we're used to power of the crowd to do that it's through micro investing. We aggregate those funds together and go out and purchase those assets. So it's something that most people would never have a chance to do and get and have the possibility of getting those returns like the institutions do. And so, so that's really kind of decreasing those barriers right there. And really kind of who makes out during the down, down periods? Who makes out purchasing these assets? Usually it's the institutions, hedge funds, banks, uh, very ultra high net worth individuals, some high net worth guys, but really it still, still costs a lot of money to purchase these at the end of the day. And so now we're kind of leveling that playing field. We're in the market competing with those institutions and we're allowing everyone the opportunity to uh, get a return uh, like they do. Yeah. And I mean, just seeing, I mean, I I don't want to say exactly what's on the site right now, because I know it will evolve over time as different properties come and go. But just so I understand the model, basically your organization or some representative thereof will actually do the investing on behalf of everybody who participates in the fund. Yeah. Yeah, we do that. We go, we scour the whole U.S. We've been at this a while. Our teams have been at this a while. So we we go out, look for assets across the U.S. So a lot of them have been in uh, the East Coast, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, uh, also in Utah, some in California, not too many, Texas. So we're, we're spread out across the whole U.S. looking for uh, the best assets we can find, uh, opportunistic stuff and stuff that will give us a good yield. And uh, doing doing quite well with that. We've established ourselves in that field, in that industry where we're getting first look and uh, and things have worked out for the better for us this past year. You know, I, this, uh, I've lived in the same community here in Las Vegas for almost eight years. It's a fairly large apartment community. And in the past eight years, we've had four owners. Wow. So what do you think is going on there? It's a lot of stuff is trading. <laughs> it's trading all the time. Uh, I'll, I'll also mention that the buildings have been painted a different color twice in the time that I've lived here. So what's going on? Well, I, well so sometimes you got to feel like you're doing something to the property and you purchase it. So that's, that's a basic thing to do. Is to, you got it. You got it. We keep get, the property. You got it. We keep getting flipped. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's getting traded again and again. Somebody sees more potential down the road. Is the, you know, that's kind of the way it is. It, it things start trading and then it kind of just kind of takes off and and things get traded at unbelievable high 
valuations. I think we, we've gotten a lot of stuff we've bought during the pandemic, like I said, and we're getting offers on some of our properties today that are unbelievable. I never anticipate those returns. So yeah, we put some on the market to sell and we're getting prices. What we put on the market for, we're getting for more, we're getting more. So uh, that's great. That's great news, not just for us, but that's great news for our customers, for the consumers who, who have invested. And this is how they get those types of returns going is during these market cycles where they were not ever able to participate. Now they're able to participate and reap those benefits. Right. So essentially what's going on here is, and this is maybe an oversimplification, is your organization essentially invests in properties, improves them, uh, allows them to accumulate value and then flips them. Yeah, and that's, and, 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 and that's where the payoff is on the back end for the investors. Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word flipping with commercial real estate, but I'm, try, allow, I'm, I'm we, trying to keep it real simple. It. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right, right. Because you know, when we think of flipping, we think of what we did, what they did with my grandparents' old house, which was a turn of the 20th century um, neo-Victorian or something like that. It had secret passageways and stained glass. And uh, after stained my grandfather. Yeah, and after my grandmother died, and it went through a series of owners, and then it had it sprung some kind of leak from the upstairs bathroom or something like that, and it got to the point where it sat on the market for three years, and finally somebody snapped it up for seventeen thousand dollars. Wow! And then a year later, it was sold for I'd have to look it up, but I know it was a very comfortable six-digit number. They put it on the real estate websites and. They did a pictorial of the inside of the house, and I compared what they did to the childhood memories that I had of the place. And I thought it was real funny how all the stained glass windows disappeared. Yeah. However, however, all of the original woodwork from the house was still there, juxtaposed against new plaster. So somebody finally got in there and got rid of that uh, knob and whatever you call it, wiring, the stuff that wasn't even grounded, and put in proper wiring uh they finally put in a um uh an hvac system that wasn't so loaded with carbon it caused people to think there were ghosts in the place and it looked like they finally uh moved air conditioning and heat up to the finished attic and i remembered when i was when i went there as a child if it was in the winter if it was in the winter and you went up to the attic you took your coat with you wow so i uh, just and, and again it's just the idea of retrofitting but the idea, but that's normally what I think of just myself when I think of flipping is somebody snapped it up for 20 grand, saw that uh, even though the place was absolutely shambolized, it still had potential and still had a solid frame. It was made out of solid brick or is made out of solid brick. So they could, uh, without having to gut it, renovate it to the point where somebody in the 21st century could actually live there. Well, it sounds like a nice house now. Yeah, so yeah, 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 certainly. Now, the, the appreciation in that case just simply came from the fact that it was a nicely refurb refurbished house. Now, when it comes to multifamilies, like apartment complexes, things like that, I understand that there are a lot of different factors. I'm actually curious about something here, and maybe you can explain this. When I renewed my lease for my apartment a few months ago, uh, I ended up doing an 11th month, an 11th month lease or an 11 month lease because my rent was only going to go off something like 50 bucks. However, if I had taken out a 12 month lease, it was going to go up 400 bucks a month. And I, and I asked them about this and I said, 
can you please have somebody who's not shit face drunk do the numbers here? Because this doesn't make sense. You know, typically when you take a longer lease, you pay less. And I was told that there is something that is out of their control, actually, that's based on turnover of rental units within a geographic area and the need to align so that there are X number of potential new units available for rent each month of the year. So they actually came out and said, candidly, we're trying to force you into an 11-month lease because if you decide to move after 11 months, the market says we're going to need a unit on the market in 11 months. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Every market in every municipality has its own set of, of regulations. So each one's a little bit different. Uh, I've noted, you didn't notice me say we purchased anything on the Northeast. Uh, we, we tend to stay away, stay away from some of the things in California for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And there's, there's states that are more friendly than others on both sides. We want, do you want to treat your tenants fairly? Of course. You want to give them a nice place. You want to respect them, make sure they're, they're paying on time, they're living well, and you're taking care of those common areas and stuff on top of that. But each one's different. So you have to navigate those waters. And that that's that's makes the things a little bit more complicated to do when you go uh, nationally with your organization. Uh, it just takes a little bit a little bit more experience and more robust teams to do that. And you have to kind of dive into the, the legal parts to it. And and that's kind of another thing we could go into is all those yes. moving parts is the, the legalities and the the costs involved to do this. And that's another reason why it's difficult to have the retail investor, the everyday investor get involved because those barriers to entry just aren't about awareness. It's not just about if you have enough money, but the costs involved to build in order to do all this stuff. It, it's too much to do for one person or a small uh, a small team. You have to have a pretty robust team or pretty experienced team to do that. So that's just another reason why it's, it's the barriers to entry are tough to get into commercial apartments investing. Yeah, and there's potentially a lot of money in commercial and apartments yeah. and, and things of that variety. Uh, it's actually yeah. fairly e- and it's fairly easy, and at least from my view. And tell me if I'm incorrect about this, and I'll tell you a story. Four and a half years ago, uh, as I said, I've lived in this community for eight years, but I lived in two different units. Four and a half years ago, the unit I was living in got to the point where it needed, I mean, it was a nice place, but it needed some fairly substantial repairs. I think I was about the seventh tenant that had used the same carpeting. So they were kind of eager uh, to put new carpeting in. And then the uh, the paint started peeling off the Roman tub in the master bathroom. That was actually the clincher. When they saw that the paint was peeling off the master tub, uh, the Roman tub in the master bathroom, they said, you know, we could fix this, uh, but if you like, we could just move you to a deluxe unit, one of the newly refurbished ones. Now, I I mean, again, I'm, my eyes are open here. I saw what they were doing. They wanted to get me into one of the newly refurbished units so they could get the unit I was living in emptied so they could refurbish that one because they were in the middle of doing their, um, and I put this in their quotes, upgrades ahead of flipping the place. And again, I know I'm using that term very loosely. Yeah, you have to wait for the each each lease to turn before you can go in and renovate it. So if they found a way to get you out a little bit sooner, they could more quickly renovate that unit, increase the rents to that unit, and then they could put it on the market to sell it. Yeah. So 
Oh, he, they he, he kinda, they did a job. They did a job on me, and I uh, actually give them credit for it. Uh, the master bedroom has what this uh, this faux wood trim that uh, covers the entire back wall that gives it a very nice, elegant appearance, uh, rather than your typical apartment bedroom. The carpets are gray instead of that ugly beige you see everywhere. The walls are gray instead of that ugly beige you see everywhere. And it also had these new windows that are really good at blocking heat from the sun, which is extremely important in Las Vegas between May and August. Oh, wow. Not to mention, so- not to mention the balcony on my previous unit faced another building. Now, my views of a park. Well, sound like you benefited. So, <laughs> did you turn and out okay for yourself? $50 a month extra for the first year. It was not bad. But I saw what, wow. was, in pl- but I saw what was in play there. They just, they just seized upon the easiest and earliest opportunity just to get me out of that other unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, to me, to, so, to me, that makes multifamily in some ways actually more attractive because it has more of a transient nature and it's more likely you're going to be able to pick people up and move them and tell me if I'm incorrect about this, where if you're doing like single houses or duplexes or what have you, you have a greater chance a person might put stakes in and stay for a long time. Yeah, it could. there's horror stories. Uh, I'm going to mention my age if I start telling you some of the movies I've seen. But oh, remember it, the, yeah. the Money Pit? The Money Pit was that you're, Tom Hanks? Yeah, you're pro- <laughs> you're pro- you're approximately three years older than me. Uh, I am familiar with the Money Pit. I do remember that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a uh, hey. They want to fix and fix that one up. That that cost them dearly. Everything yeah. could possibly could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. Everything went wrong with that thing. So. Um, yeah, so you, you got to be careful when you're doing the there, – there is a lot of going on right now, though, with large hedge funds buying single families throughout the U.S., especially in the Sun Belt region in the southeast U.S. They're gobbling yep. everything up. They're going in, gutting them out. They're purchasing these with cash, sight unseen, as soon as they hit the market. The realtors aren't even taking other offers. They're closing real fast in one day on these things. And, uh, and then they're uh, fixing them up and they're leasing them out to people. But that is really uh, that is really has increased the price of homes for first time home buyers. It's it's, it's pushing them out of the market. Uh, they, they can't they cannot purchase homes because the hedge funds are going in and purchasing homes ahead of them. Yep. So they end up becoming renters at the end of the day. They're renting a single family, which is most of them don't want to rent a single family. And that's where I think they end up going to multifamily in some respects. Uh, they, they, their intent was, you know, most people intend is to, to be a homeowner and now that is kind of, uh, being taken away from them. So, um, it's just unfortunate that's been happening, but everyone, the whole real estate industry itself across the U S right now is, is, is really, um, well, one is frothy, but number two, it's, it's really being dominated by these larger, uh, hedge funds and tech companies. Right. In order for us to have the proper conversation about this. Craig, I'm going to have to timestamp our conversation here. So right now, you and I are speaking in April of 2022. Because the Business Creators Radio Show will probably be available on the air for at least as long as I'm alive, which I expect to be a long time, somebody could be listening to this five years from now, and the story could be a lot different. But here we are in 2022. I'm located in Las Vegas, which has become one of the most expensive housing markets in the country. 
we were one of the first to go over the 400,000 mark for median house price. I have friends who are realtors who literally conduct who literally conduct raffles among their prospects to determine who even gets the privilege of bidding on properties they become available. Yeah, it's crazy. I think uh, I think they ranked San Diego the, the the hottest housing market, the most expensive one to get in based on some ratios of the I think based on the income uh, for the particular prices versus income. It's crazy. It's it's I haven't seen anything like this. Um, it's 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 unprecedented, and inflation has not uh, it's not slowing down. Uh, there was a recent. They're talking about a lot of. Uh, uh, the Fed increasing the rates, and that's probably going to happen. How how much we don't know, uh-huh. and at the same time we have a war going on right now. So there's a, there's a lot of outside influence. It, right. And then you look at this. Two two years ago we started with the pandemic, and here we are with out of control inflation and a war. It it doesn't feel to me like we're not going to be out without a major event. It seems like there's every time we get out of one event, another event pops up. So there's 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 a pattern here, and and just noticing that pattern. Is is just is something that I, I'm kind of fascinated about. That it's like okay, you know, you, you feel like we're going to come out of this thing, pandemic, everything's going back to normal. Now, like I said, we got inflation and then the what's going on in Ukraine right now, uh, and it's just it's just unfortunate. But it always seems like something is is, is going to happen. So you know, there is opportunity there. You got you got to look for it. Right now, it's it's a little bit uh, dicey because of um, you know everything's overvalued across the board, but. Um, I always tend to think when things are, are are a little bit uncertain, there there is opportunity out there. Yeah, uh, I'm also a student of history, and you know, you and I have been around not forever, but you and I have been around for a while. We've established we're pretty close in age, and we remember basically the same presidents in the same movies. So, speaking of presidents, uh, there's that there's that trope in that debate about. Um, uh, depending on your point of view, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to just you know, express what I sometimes hear as a conservative point of view, is that uh, Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama should be thankful to Joe Biden right now because now they're not going to be recognized as the worst president we've ever had. So pause. Is this all really Biden's fault, or is this him happening to be in office when certain things that were likely to happen? in their primary form anyway, would happen. What happened during the pandemic? Uh, we had this abrupt, very dramatic slamming on the brakes of the global economy, which caused backlogs and backups in manufacturing, which led to supply chain issues. And when you have supply decrease while demand increases, that brings about inflation. It takes cycles to catch up for that. Right now, here in April 22, gas prices will make your eyes fall out. Uh, Remember just two years ago that the price of a barrel of oil was so low that oil companies technically were actually paying people to take the oil? And what happened now? What's the price of a barrel of oil right now? It's pretty damn expensive. So 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 so, So think about it like... Traffic on the road that stops at a red light and then the light turns green 
And then the vehicles start moving, but they don't all start moving at once. First, the first car moves, then the second, and then eventually they start to space out again. And then and then the next intersection, another line of cars comes in and feeds into that main line, and people's places in the queue change as they get towards the exits to the interstates and everything else. And it can take a while for you to get from your local town to the interstate. So the same thing happens with the economy. And if we want to go for this Obama, Biden, Carter thing, think about Jimmy Carter. Uh, what happened after Carter's administration? Well, Reagan's, Reagan. ad- Reagan's administration, Reagan. where a lot of yeah. things started going in the opposite direction. And you can give Reagan credit for that. And, I'm sh- and I believe he does, and he and his policies deserve a fair amount of it. At the same time, it would have happened without him. It would have happened if Carter had been reelected. That's what's very and, interesting. And, 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 yeah. and, Car- and Carter would have had a chance of going down as having had a really rough first term, but turning out to be one of our luminaries in the second. If, you know, a good one to go back to is is is, is Bush too, and looking, he had two terms. His first term was phenomenal. Yeah. Right? And then a financial crisis happened in the second term, and some of the things that he suffered from was the guidelines that were loosened up during the Clinton administration. Right. Uh, and and so. And, and Clinton had a good run as well, right? A good eight-year run across the board. Last, so time, last time we had a balanced budget, you got to give credit. Yeah, and you look at that across the board, it's some of the things he did to balance the budget ended up going into Bush's administration. And then, of course, he had not had to deal with 9-11. Um, and, and then yeah. from, from that, uh, that, that it was a 2000s where it were kind of a giant party, uh, per se, before the crash. It was it was kind of like the Roaring Twenties. Everybody was doing phenomenal. I remember that time period. It was it was a it was oh, a- I, that's when I started my business. I had I had loan officers showing up at my home office without invitations, with pre filled out paperwork. All I needed to do was tell them a number and they'd call the office and get it approved. Yeah, it was just too f- easy. Just, just five years. Just five years later, I ended up getting treated pretty much like a criminal, and at one point, actually getting threatened with criminal prosecution because I made a joke. Uh, when I asked for another debt consolidation loan, figuring, hey, I paid the first one off perfect. Let's do another. Wow. And now we're at the point where, and now we're at the point where we've seen involved in the areas of business credit, business funding, where non-traditional and alternative funds of lending, forms of lending, have really started to come into their own. And in many cases, as long as you can demonstrate decent credit, you can have access to pools of money that are autonomous, at least, from what we call the traditional banking system. And it's in some ways easier to get funded than it was before. Yeah. So yeah. you see these cycles, you see these cycles. And if you look back in history, those trends have happened before. None of this is new. Everything that's old eventually becomes new again. Yeah, I found it's still fascinating how how easy it is to have capital for people for again the institutions and for wealthy people and how they're flooding the markets with that money and that's where the inflation is coming from so if you could borrow money at one percent or zero percent at the end of the day yeah. that's what it's basically free money that's how you're propping this whole economy up and so they're going out there and yeah you, you, the one the one thing i'm looking at maybe a little bit on the downside i want to do a pity party here is, is some of that capital feeds some of these venture capital funds 
and that start that's that um, and that kind of feeds the economy uh, by creating jobs and, and supporting new businesses across the board. Right. But I, I believe that's going to be pulled back quite a bit because if they're not going to get if money is not going to be flowing into the venture capital funds as much, they're not going to be deployed as quickly. And I am not sure. I I, I started watching the. Uh, the WeWork special, it's called We Crash the other day. Yep. And seeing how much money he got, I was like amazed how much money he got. And I am sure it's oh, I, 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 I remember that. And I know the documentary you're referring to. I remember when that yeah. all happened a couple of years ago. And I'm thinking, I've heard of golden pol- golden parachutes, but holy heck. And that's kind of the the mindset of some people. It's like they're it's like this other party. I, I was really went to the party in two thousands, but it's almost like this venture capital party per se it's like you go to work you know you, you get all this funding you have to spend the money you're creating these great work environments for people but the basic business fundamentals aren't being followed so you you look at that and you had these again frothy evaluations things trading really high and how long is that going to last and what we're saying is we're saying a couple areas like hey this real estate thing can't go on forever we have inflation here but at the same time some of those mechanisms that cause that to happen are being pulled back. And I think the first thing they're doing is that's why they're increasing the rates to get that free money off the books right. uh, for, for, for people. So, but I don't know if they really got this thing figured out. I don't think they have this thing figured out at all because they would have made adjustments last year. They're right. just too late. What, you, if, just saw this yeah. com- you saw this coming last year. Right. What's part of the reason we had inflation is because during the pandemic, the, the government printed money. Like, what was it? Eight trillion or something like that. And, the go- and, yeah. and it's a way of propping up businesses, uh, particularly small businesses, they made available loans that as long as you spent the money a certain way, you could get the entire loan forgiven. Um, I know people that have taken advantage of that and gotten their loans forgiven simply because they carefully documented how they spent the money to demonstrate that they actually used the money for what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has helped out some small businesses if they yeah. use it for the right purposes. And some people, guess the bad actors use it for other reasons. Cars, yep, and, yep, and the, yeah, and the government's trying to claw some of that back, and I say good for them because those bastards uh, are going to make it harder for the rest of us. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that was a very unfortunate thing to have to do because of what is the cause for inflation now, but at the time, it kept a lot of people with roofs over their head. It uh, it made sure they got their three meals a day. These are These are very low on... Maslow's pyramid. This is very important stuff. It was necessary. And yeah. I remember, and I and I know somebody who actually was on the banking side of that, who managed the process of, of handling the applications for those loans that were made available to the government. And him telling me about somebody who was saying, oh, so you mean I actually have to account for the government how to spend the money? That's not right. That's my money. And he said, well, actually, yeah, you do have to account for it. Do you really think that the government is just going to give you a loan that you're not going to have to pay back and just say, oh, go take the money and go buy iPhones? No, it's not going to work that way. It, yeah, it's crazy. And they're really they're really kind of going after that right now. I know over uh, the new head of the SEC, Gensler, has really got an ultimatum to go after bad actors full force ahead. I know the NFTs are... They view them as securities. A lot of people have been raising money through NFTs. Yep. Uh, crypto, I, I believe, safer than that. We'll see what the 
people are still trying to figure that out. Uh, you, you know why they're all nervous about that. They feel like the, the dollar is going to be devalued. I'm not sure if that's because of cryptocurrency or because of the free money we had the last two years. So that's up for debate on what's happening, what's going to happen with that. But, yeah, um, I'm going to I'm going to make a crazy prediction now. This is, hasn't happened in either of our lifetimes. Oh, but I'm, 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 I'm going to. Uh, but I think you might be and tell me if I'm right about what you think I'm going to say. At some point, they're going to issue currency that's going to look different than what we have right now, so that they can make so that they can change the value of currency. What I mean by that is a thing where you exchange a hundred old dollars and get one new dollar. It might not be dramatic, but you see this. You've seen this within our lifetimes in other countries where they had four and five digit inflation, and eventually they just said. You know what? It's it's psychologically just bullshit that people are spending ten thousand dollars for a loaf of bread. Uh, let's just have them turn into old currency so that it looks like they're spending three dollars for a loaf of bread again. The money will still be the worth the same. It'll just have different numbers. Yeah, I heard they're starting to work on a coin. The good the, the federal government. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, the other thing is the the veil of this the war going on too. I, I see what's going on with uh, China right now and yeah. I'm seeing them and some of these oil nations. And, and th- this is where things are, are kind of what's going on in this country. I believe with the culture and everything with this country is, is it's not acceptable in this con- in country to do business with, with certain people based on their values. A lot of stuff in the news you see the other day, uh, you see that everywhere, right? You, you see yeah. it. And, and now but it's all right that have our whole kind of infrastructure um, dependent upon oil from the Middle East. And it, just, it doesn't really kind of flow with our morals with everything. Uh, however, other people don't play by the same moral code as we do. And you, and you kind right. of see that happening right now. So I, there, there's something there to that. I'd like to see how that pans out. Because if, if we're going to hold ourselves to a high standard where we live in this world that people play by a different set of rules – and they, they don't care at the end of the day about any of those high standards or these ethical codes or what happens over there. And they start going, you know what? We're just not going to do business with you anymore. How's that going to affect us? Because you're kind of, you're starting to see some people take advantage of what's going on right now. And uh, I'd be interested to see what happens over the next year and see how that happens, what, what's going on with the, the, the currencies and, and what's going on with China. Well, yeah, morality, legality, we could speak about that for hours. What I'm enjoying about this, this conversation is a little bit beyond what we originally planned, but I think it's a nice discussion for our listeners just to help them see some different points of view about what's really going on or a view on what's really going on right now. You hear this with, I mean, you heard this during the Trump administration. They said, wow, we're making enemies of all of our allies. Look at who our new allies are. You could say the same thing about the Biden administration. You could have said that about Obama. You could say that about both the Bushes, Clinton, Reagan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you get to the global economy, trade, exchange, and what have you, there is sometimes very limited room to comment on other people's morality. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. You, you, you almost can't in some in, in some manners it's it's um, great it's great to sit by it's great to sit behind your keyboard and put virtue signal hashtags on things and what have you uh and in one of our recent interviews on business careers radio show this was with Vito glazers uh that's his name Vito glazers 
Uh, we discussed uh, the idea of transitioning from cancel culture to communication culture. So we got into economics on that conversation as well. And it was about this whole thing about canceling a company because you don't like uh, who their CEO donated to or yeah, or they didn't mm-hmm. rush to push hashtags on their social media fast enough after such and such news story or what have you. And what we're starting to see now is the aggrieved parties who have been on the short end of this whole cancel thing are finally starting, in my view, to get smart about it, where they say, Okay, well, we'll just uh, we'll just start our own companies and give people a choice. Uh, I'm not getting partisan here. I'm just pointing out what's I'm actually seeing on the board right now. The Daily Wire, which was originally a media company that expressed political opinions, has now gone into movie production. They now have their own company that sells shaving razors, and they have a similar venture on some kind of consumer product like can't remember what it is that's supposed to come out a little later this year. If you're listening five years from now, you'll know the answer to that. But that's just one example. But there are so many others out there where people are looking at this and saying, hey, you know what? Um, half the consumers of a certain product are feeling marginalized and they're feeling like they're forced to give their money to, the, to what they view as the devil. Let's give them a new option. And that can drive, a con- that, that can drive the economy as well. And I can see that applying eventually to the housing market in certain ways where uh, with all this fluidity and the ability for people to get involved in this for just say $500, they can say, well, I don't like housing discrimination. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest in new housing that doesn't discriminate. And that's a valid way of going about it. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much going on. Like look at the student loan forgiveness program. You see what's going on there. Uh, I think that just happened. Biden's wiping out a lot of that, uh, forgiving a lot of that debt. And then he looked right. at a, com- a company like Sophie, who is very exposed in student loans. And how, how's that going to affect them and their shareholders right. and stakeholders of that company? So when you make kind of one decision, it's, it's what's that Newtonian law of physics? Each reaction is an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. So, yeah. If you're, yeah. If you're forgiving student loans, you don't just open up a ledger and take an eraser and. <laughs> Yeah. The money's got and, the, mon- the 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 debt's got to be reassigned somewhere, and these le- pages of the legislation they're like four to five hundred pages long. Some cases they're eight hundred pages long. We don't know what's in there, and who the heck reads all that stuff? You got all these Congress people voting on this stuff. I don't know if, who really reads all this stuff and who packs it in there. Well, and wh- what is really in there? What are they really passing at the end of the day? We might see. The yeah. media picks up one or two major points, but if you're at a 500-page document, you're talking about two points. What else is in there? Why is it 500 pages long if you're talking about two things? That's what I would like to know. Oh, here so you have some transparency there. See, here's so here's what the so here's uh, and this is actually done in the sunlight. You see, Congress wait until the absolute last minute to quote unquote uh, agree. On a, spe- on a spending package uh, or a continuing resolution, which isn't even a constitutional budget, if you really want to look at this, and give its members something like eight hours to vote on it. And then after that vote happens, the president has three hours to sign it. Otherwise, oh, oh, Mr. President, Ms. President, you don't sign this. You're going to shut the government down. You're going to shut the country down. And uh, to me, I'm waiting for a president to say, 
hey, you know what? The Constitution gives me 10 days. Screw all you people. You should have got it to me 10 days sooner. I'm going to go to Camp David, and I'm going to go over this with a red pen. You can sit there and wait. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen, though. Not going to happen. Not going to happen yeah. because not going to happen because politics is too cheap. And that, and that, and that, to bring this to a circle is why I like what you're doing with Diversifund. Is it gives people the opportunity to create a bit of their own economy without having to deal with some of this regulatory stuff. That I understand some of our listeners, it might be like an airplane joke flying over their head. And now they have the opportunity to get involved in real estate investing, particularly multifamily, without having to necessarily understand all this because they can trust somebody to understand it for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, until until you came along, I had literally not heard of this model. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 it was was a a theory that we made into reality. So it's kind of nice to see your vision pit will seem actually become a a working, breathable company at the end of the day. So very fortunate for that. Absolutely. Uh, And um, and it's just amazing to have that opportunity, amazing to kind of give back to people and allow them to have that opportunity. And and hopefully more platforms like ours pop up and and we're we're seeing that. And with the advent of of FinTech and technology and finances coming together, you're seeing more and more companies come together uh, to do that stuff. They're always, at the end of the day, I always feel like there's a little, little bit of a, how do I say behind the scenes, there's a hand, the institution still know yeah. what to do. And, uh, and those are some of our pain points. Our pain points is like, Hey, how can we get it go from $500 minimums to maybe a hundred dollar minimums? And you might say, well, Craig with a hundred dollars, you can't really build. Well, I could say, well, you could take a hundred bucks out of your paycheck every two weeks and that could accumulate across a year. And you're at $2,400 at the end of the year kind of just putting that away and packaging that away like a, a savings account. I call it like a savings account on steroids. Yeah. And however, the the all the the cost of transacting due to the banking fees and the regulatory fees and all the oversight, there's just so much there that they pull all this all the meat out of there. They charge all these fees that doesn't make it cost effective for companies to do this. And this is kind of the reason we have the blockchain technology so, but at the end of the day, who doesn't like that technology? Oh, they always say, hey, yeah, I know there, there's fraud going on. I know they want to, there's money laundering going on with that stuff. But the bigger picture here is the banks don't get to make their money. These these regulatory agencies, they don't have the oversight to charge fees and stuff. So, you know, that that's kind of the thing that the narrative isn't being talked about is how much money they lose when these technologies take off. And that's where yeah. you see them behind the scenes trying to adapt these technologies, but they're always adapting it from a mindset of of they're very shareholder centric. So they're always looking at the profits they can make from this. And they're not the stakeholder centric is how does my shareholders and my customers both benefit. Uh, and, th- and that's something that uh, it has to change. You know, you hear it and OK, we're ESG. What does that mean? We're ESG. We're environmental, social governance uh, approved type of fund that's kind of just uh uh you know is that window dressing to say that you're esg so you know those are some of the things i kind of look at the end of the day is it's kind of like hey these not just the barriers entry but some of these these friction points uh and some of these legacy businesses are still around they just kind of change what they look like they'll change their name or change the way they're doing business i don't think they're going anywhere i think they just change yeah, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. 
So we're at the top of the hour here. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I trust that maybe there's something our listeners can get out of this. It may give them uh, at least a new point of view and a way of trying to assess just what the heck is going on. And sadly, it's my prediction that if somebody is listening to this 10 years from now, we may be in a place where there have been a lot of radical changes, but then we'll be back to everything that's everything that was once old is now new again. And I and I hope as a as a final shot that people will recognize that history does repeat itself, whether you study it or not. So uh, I encourage you to. Uh, continue what you're doing, and I wish you the best of luck. And Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. Great. I appreciate it. Appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.